The biggest thing is sleep. Ever since he was a baby, I've been obsessed with his sleep. (laughs) And I was that crazy parent who would go out and spend ridiculous amounts of money on whatever product they said helps your baby get to sleep. And fast forward all these years, I'm still (laughs) buying the CD, the relaxation CD and the melatonin for kids and the essential oils and doing whatever relaxation techniques I can find to help him ease into a good sleep and so that he doesn't wake up. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host Robin and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks and I'm here to help you find your way and I'll even tell you what to say. Hey, Lynn, guess what? We're going to have registration live for our teen retreat that's this April. If it's not live yet, it's going to be live really soon. So we've sent out a save the date. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Facebook group. Lynn, tell me what you think, which families should consider the teen retreat? Well, and I think we need to make sure that we're clear that teens are invited and we'd love teens to come. But parents, if you have teens that you're struggling with and they're like, no way, you can still come by yourself. So just to make sure that this is really for parents and teens, but parents can come without their teens, although we'd love the teens to be able to participate. So what kind of families? I would say that any family that is got a history of worry and anxiety, that if you've been dealing with this, it can be families that are already getting help for this, that are looking to sort of you know supplement or augment what they're doing with their own therapy. And it can also be families that are just sort of noticing how this thing is showing up, maybe as a teen, you're beginning to step into that high school age, parents are worried about perfectionism, or they're worried about social stuff, or they're worried about making the transition out of high school. Any family that feels like they could use some tools to deal with what are very common and very normal emotional challenges during this period of time. Wouldn't you say I was actually sending a couple of our past episodes to a friend of mine this past week? She was asking about the teen episodes that we've done that really focus on social issues. And when I was looking at what we had done, I really see the prominent theme in your therapy approach is really helping teens build specific social and emotional skills. Right. The ability to tolerate big emotions, the ability to step back from your thinking Staying away from this idea that you have this rigid identity of who you are and how you respond and how you react. Or who other people are, Or who other people are, right. Any kind of rigidity in terms of the assessment of you or other people. Being an adolescent, it's a time of such self-awareness sometimes, but also self-consciousness. So how do you figure out what you want to share with the world and how you're going to do that and how you're going to connect with other people? I really want to help teens and parents be able to have some good conversations, good open discussions about what they're dealing with emotionally so that it's not something that people freak out about. It's not something that's hidden away. It's not something that is pathologized. I just want them to be able to talk about it and manage it and learn the skills that you need to manage what life is going to throw at you. This retreat is going to be at the Woodstock Inn in Woodstock, Vermont on Saturday, April 9th, and we will have discounted rooms for that weekend. 
Lynn, we're going to hear another session of yours today. I loved this one. This mom wants to talk about sleep. Yeah, so this is such a, I think, such a relatable topic because there are certain things that parents really freak out about, and it might be sleep, it might be grades, it might be whether or not your kid is a picky eater, but the process that we're going to hear this mom talk about is how does she separate her own worry about this topic from the worry of her child about this topic? And is it actually possible to separate those two things out? Yeah, it's a really great discussion. And it's so relevant to so many things. Yeah, I think what we hear in this is this is something that everybody can relate to because everybody has to go to sleep. But there are certain things in our family's lives that come up on a daily basis eating, doing homework, getting to bed, getting out the door, cleaning your house, right? What happens when you worry about something that happens every day? So today we're talking to Ashley. She's the mom of two boys that are seven and nine. Um, Ashley is feeling the pressure of school and transitions and parenting, and she's starting to make the connection between her worry and what she is seeing in her older son. I personally always struggle with transitions, with change, and I see that happening in my oldest, my nine-year-old. So I try to pretend like I'm not anxious and upset and worried, and I try to put on a really brave face and talk about the positive aspects of the change. Anxiety in myself is something that I'm really just coming to terms with and trying to delve deeper into. And it wasn't until I recognized how anxiety was affecting my oldest that I realized I need to look at it for myself. What became clear with Ashley is that she may not be hiding her anxiety as well as she had hoped. And now that she's acknowledging that, she's feeling even more pressure. I saw in his behavior, my own behaviors, and it really made me stop and say, you need to look at yourself before I can help him process and improve on what's going on with his anxiety, I have to look at myself. Mm -hmm. I'm in the process of trying to do that, but I don't think I can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need to help get some help in figuring out how do I help him and help myself and not get it too muddy or confusing or mess it up. (laughs) She wants to do it right. Her son's worry currently revolves around sleep. That's the current content, and it's pretty clear why. But it's not really all about sleep, is it? Ashley and her family need a better way to talk about worry and shift out of some rigid patterns. Trying to deal with anxiety's rigid demands about sleep or work or anything else by becoming more rigid, that is not going to work. Okay, are you worried that you're messing it up? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Parenting is not walking a tightrope. It's walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. When parents are trying to deal with this and try and figure this out, they feel like, oh my gosh, if I make one wrong step or if I say one wrong thing, I'm just going to screw it all up. You got a lot of room here, right? There's a lot of room. There's a big sweet spot. So first of all, we just want to take the pressure off you because you're thinking about this in the right way. You're saying, oh gosh, I'm noticing these behaviors. I know this is a struggle for me, so we're going to take the pressure off you and take the pressure off him, and it's a process. 
You're not walking a tightrope, you're walking across a bridge. Big difference. Describe to me how, how you see his anxiety in your seven-year-old, not so much, much more in your nine-year-old. Oh, my seven-year-old is so chill. Yeah. Okay. And is there another parent in the home? Yes. My husband. Yes. How is his chill level? He's more chill than I am, but I would say that he has a normal amount of anxiety because I think everybody deals with some level of anxiety yep. and it just manifests differently with him. He tends to be a little bit more on the need for control and that helps to relieve the anxiety that he can feel at times when situations are stressful, whether that's change or whatever. He finds it helpful to just have consistency and have control over as many aspects of the situation. Okay. And how does it show up in your nine-year-old? What do you see in your nine-year-old? I think he has the benefits of both of our anxious weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has the control freak of my husband, and I think he has the neurosis of me. <laughs> oh, all right. So he can be rigid, and he also worries. Oh, yeah. He's a worrier, and you're a worrier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me an example, just sort of a typical scenario where you see his worry show up and maybe where yours, the two of you sort of do this worry thing together. My husband and I both recognize that our oldest son gets very anxious about going to bed. He's afraid he's not going to be able to fall asleep. When he goes to sleep, he's afraid he's going to wake up. It's a constant worry. Did he ever sleep normally? He's a champion sleeper. Oh, okay. Something shifted and he started struggling with falling asleep all of a sudden. And then it sort of mutated into he would wake up randomly in the middle of the night and not be able to fall asleep. Okay. All of the worrying that you were doing about getting him to sleep, it wasn't because he wasn't going to sleep. Like as a toddler and as a baby, he was sleeping. Yeah, he was not a great sleeper as a baby. And, and that was hard for me. As a new mom, I was not prepared for sleep deprivation. And I think that that's always stayed with me is that I, I don't want to not sleep. And I'm willing to do anything short of medicating my son <laughs> to get him to sleep so I can sleep. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of worry about him not sleeping, you not sleeping, and what the impact of this lack of sleep is going to do. Do you feel like you guys sort of start getting ramped up about it as bedtime is coming? Well, that's where I, I fake it because I feel like I'm pretending like I'm not worried, pretending like it's totally normal and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But yes, inside I'm screaming. Okay. What's the bedtime routine like these days? It can vary on different nights because of sports. So some nights he'll go to bed later because of sports, but for the most part, he and I read together and then he reads on his own for a little bit to unwind and then it's lights out. Okay. And when you say there's, there's CDs or there's recordings, there's melatonin, there's essential oils, is all of that a part of the routine too? Yes. So I did stop giving him melatonin because he was having bad dreams and I do know that melatonin can trigger some bad dreams. So I stopped with the melatonin. I have a relaxation CD that he listens to religiously every night. And if he doesn't have that CD, does that cause him distress? It hasn't happened technically. We did go camping one weekend. So obviously we were out in the woods and we didn't have technology. So he went to sleep without it, but 
that was a really rough night. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O- TTA and use the code FLUSTER. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. So he's pretty rigid about this sleep routine too. Yes. I've created a monster. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. He's probably a little cute monster. If we were to ask your husband, what's the motto around sleep in your house? Like if there was a sitcom and it was about (laughs) you and your son going to sleep, what would be the title of the sitcom? I I just think sleep is so essential. Like sleep is life. (laughs) Um, I I do not function well without my good sleep. Okay. Sleep is life. Do you think that that message has gotten conveyed to him? Yes. (laughs) All right. So there's a lot of emphasis right now on sleep. And this is the interesting thing that happens with sleep is because we know that it's important. 
Some people really need it more than others. Some people are like, oh, I have to have my nine hours or I can't function. And other people are like, yeah, I'm, you know, if I have five, nine or whatever, I do okay. So sleep is life. If we were going to ask your husband again, what would he say that he observes as the two of you are getting ready for bed? Probably that I'm getting anxious and overcomplicating the situation. <laughs> okay, you're overcomplicating it. So there's too much going on. Is there anything that you or your son believe about falling asleep or things that you say to yourself about falling asleep? Is there anything that he says about falling asleep? Every single night, he says, I'm afraid. I'm not going to fall asleep. Literally every night, he says, I'm afraid. Okay. So if your motto is sleep is life and he's afraid he can't fall asleep, sleep is important, but you've made it kind of catastrophic. Yeah. Right? It's sort of like sleep has now become oxygen. Yeah. That if he doesn't have it, this is a very dire circumstance. Okay. When you talk to him about this, what do you say? I've asked him why he's afraid because he falls asleep. It's okay to be afraid of something, but the thing that he's afraid of is not true. He does fall asleep every single night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what my husband and I both have tried to emphasize to him that you don't have to force yourself to fall asleep. It happens spontaneously, naturally, and it's like breathing. You just do it. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. And all of that is wonderful stuff to say, but there's a little bit of a mixed message there, right? Yeah. So sleep is natural. Sleep happens. You know how to fall asleep. Your body knows how to fall asleep. You've done it every single day since you were born, right? He's never stayed up for 24 hours or 36 hours. Your body knows how to do this. So that's one message. That's a wonderful message to give him. But the other message is, oh my gosh, what if I don't fall asleep? Sleep is life. <laughs> I won't be able to function without sleep, right? The clock is ticking. Oh no, oh no, oh no. So he's getting these two messages. And I think that your goal here is to really pay attention to which message you want to give him. And how do we talk to him about the message that's gotten conveyed that's not so helpful? It's time for you to be open with him. It's time for you to say, you know what? I think that I have told you two different things about sleep. Mm. I think that I've told you that sleep is really natural that everybody falls asleep, that you know how to fall asleep. And then I think I've also told you, oh my God, what if you don't fall asleep? And I would say to him, that's because I worry about my sleep. And I think that I've kind of done the same thing in telling you that you should worry about your sleep. And of course, I didn't do it on purpose. And you can come up with an analogy, come up with a metaphor, because they're so helpful. You can say to him, Suppose I was saying to you, oh my gosh, strawberries are the most wonderful food. They're so delicious. They're so good for you. A ripe strawberry is so amazing. Every once in a while, there might be a poisonous strawberry that could kill you. But other than that, they're fabulous, <laughs> right? So you pick a metaphor that won't freak them out, right? Because then maybe you'll call me back in a week and say like, okay, so now you won't eat strawberries. And make it sort of ridiculous. Do you guys have a pet? We do. What do you have? Two dogs. Okay, two dogs. So use the dogs as a metaphor. And you love your dogs, right? So, and he loves his dogs. You say, it's like I've been telling you how wonderful dogs are, 
and how much we love our dogs and pets are so great. And they're such an important part of our family. And then on the other hand, I'm telling you, don't touch the dogs. (laughs) And it's impossible to do those two things at once. So we need to just revise. We need to revamp the way that we as a family are talking about sleep. Because the fact of the matter is, sleep is important and you do know how to fall asleep, but we have to be more flexible in the way we think about sleep. We have to be more flexible in sometimes how long it takes us to fall asleep, Mm -hmm. what we think about before we fall asleep. Sometimes we have to be flexible about our routine before we fall asleep. We can give your husband a little hand in this too, right? Because he's got the rigidity thing going on. So if you're feeling guilty about this, we'll pass a little (laughs) guilt off onto him too. But we want to be flexible about falling asleep. It doesn't mean that we're going to say, oh, let's stay up all night. It doesn't mean that we're going to say one night we're going to sleep on the couch and one night we're going to sleep on the roof and the other night we're going to sleep on the lawn. We're going to have a routine, but there's going to be some flexibility within the routine. And you have some flexibility about the bedtime now, because you said if he plays sports, then maybe his bedtime is a little bit later or so there is some flexibility about that. So it's nice to have a routine with flexibility. Yeah. So it's like saying it's good for us to eat healthy food for dinner, but every once in a while, we're just going to have French toast for dinner or every once in a while, we're just going to say, let's have ice cream. So for the most part, we're going to have a healthy dinner, but it's okay to have flexibility. I want you to talk to him about what worry says. I want you to externalize that worry, pull it out, give it a name. And I want you to do the same with you. So I want you to pull out your worry and give it a name. So come up with whatever name you want. You can call it Sylvia or Patty or whatever you want and have him pull his worry out. And you guys are going to recognize that your worry says the same thing over and over and over again. What's your worry's best thing to say about sleep? Well, his not falling asleep easily affects me in the evening. The reality is I have to get back to work after the boys go to bed so I can finish up some things from my day. If I don't have enough time between when the boys go to bed and I go to bed to finish my work, it leaves things undone and I get anxious about work. Yeah. If they're not falling asleep, if he's having trouble falling asleep, then you start worrying about you're not going to get your work done. Mm -hmm. Are you always in charge of bedtime or does dad help sometimes? We've tried to alternate it, but the boys seem to only want me to do it. Okay. So that's rigidity. Yeah. And they want you to do it. Why do you think? Because I do it better. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have the oils and the incense (laughs) and the chanting (laughs) and the gongs. Yeah. How would your husband do it differently? WrestleMania time. Oh, well, that's kind of fun. It's WrestleMania versus let's read and listen to soothing music. (laughs) Okay. So there's some flexibility there that might be something that you want to think about. There are all different ways for people to fall asleep. There are all different ways for people to get ready to go to bed. People have so many different ways of getting comfortable. People have so many different ways. Some people like a really flat pillow. Some people like a fluffy pillow. There's all sorts of different ways. So the message you want to give him, I would say to him, you and I, we're kind of being held hostage by our worries about falling asleep. Mm -hmm. 
And our worry says it has to go a certain way. It has to take a certain amount of time. We have to do these certain things. And if you don't fall asleep, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a catastrophe. Yeah. So you and I need to realize that our worry is making up all these rules, telling us we have to do a certain thing a certain way. And my worry and your worry are clearly hanging out together at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would, for one, I would give your husband a little bit more responsibility for bedtime. Mm -hmm. And that may be hard for you because maybe you're like, he's not doing it right. It's not going to work. He's getting him too riled up. Now I'm not going to be able to get my work done, right? So you want to get in there and make sure that it gets done the right way. So you're going to have to back off a little bit because your urgency is coming across. What would be a wonderful way for bedtime to go? Not based on what your worry thinks or not based on what his worry thinks. When I say wonderful, I just mean sort of uneventful, normal. What would it look like? Well, I do like the ritual we have now of reading together and letting them read on their own. Literally, since they were brought home from the hospital, always read to them at bedtime. I think that that's a good tradition. So I think Mm -hmm. that reading at bedtime is good and just snuggling and being close and talking about our day. And then after you read and then you kiss him goodnight and say goodnight, I love you, and then you leave and then he reads for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then what does he do? The CD gets turned on and he falls asleep. If he were to not fall asleep, what would happen? It hasn't happened in a while, but, you know, he would come downstairs and say, I can't sleep. And I'm sitting there on my computer doing my work and I'm cranky and I'm tired and I don't have much patience for it. So I shoo him back upstairs. Okay. And then he goes back upstairs. And then what happens? I mean, there have been nights where there were tears. You know, he just was really upset and feeling overwhelmed with, you know, not being able to relax. And so I have to dig into my toes to find my calming words of wisdom for him to just help him relax and try to sleep. Okay. And you said he wakes up during the night sometimes? He has. He doesn't every night. There was a long stretch of time where he would wake up and call for us to go in. And that was really, really tough because I'm not good in the middle of the night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not a good time for me in the day. It's definitely not my best. I would go in there and I'd be very angry with him for waking me up. Okay. That happens, what, like less than once a week? It really doesn't happen much anymore at all. It it actually happened last night and I heard him get up and go to the bathroom and then he turned his CD back on himself. We had talked to him about the fact that if he wakes up because he has to go to the bathroom or he's just up, he can turn his CD back on and he can listen to that again. And that's what he does now. Okay. He's doing pretty well. So right now, he goes to bed, you read, he listens to his CD, he falls asleep. If he wakes up, he turns his CD on, he goes back to sleep. And there is right now in you a whole lot of worry and anticipation about what happens if he can't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole lot of worry and anticipation in him about what happens if he can't fall asleep. That's why I want you guys to talk about your worry parts, because your worry parts are making up this whole story. And it's a pretty intense story. Sleep is life. Sleep is oxygen. Without it, things are going to fall apart really quickly. It's going to be a disaster, right? This is catastrophic thinking. Mm -hmm. 
So you want to talk to him about your worry and his worry, and you want to come up with a different story about how you're going to talk about sleep. Okay. Let's change it out from instead of sleep is life, what would be a way to say that that would be less urgent and less catastrophic? Sleep is great. I mean, (laughs) sleep is our friend. Yep. And sleep is normal. And sleep can be sometimes unpredictable. Yeah. Everybody sleeps, but it's not something that we can time to the minute or to the second. Mm -hmm. So sleep is flexible. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has learned over the years what works for him in order to be able to fall asleep. He has his preferences. He's figured it out, but he can still be flexible. I want you to say to him, I get really nervous about my sleep. And that has made me nervous about your sleep. Yeah. And I think that our worry parts are kind of teaming up. Yeah. So I am officially, you say to him, I am officially releasing you from my worry about sleep because you do know how to sleep. You do fall asleep. You do know how to manage your sleep. You do get good sleep. Once in a while when you don't get good sleep, that's okay too. Yeah. And it would be like at this point, if you were saying to him, I'm really worried about you walking. I'm really worried about you walking. I'm not sure that you know how to walk. And he would say, but mom, I walk every day. I walk downstairs. I walk at school. I walk outside. And you'd be saying, I know, but there could be a time when you might not walk or you might not walk exactly the way I need you to walk. Yeah. He knows how to do this. He knows how to do it. You've got to say to him, I am officially separating from your sleep. I'm handing over your sleep to you because you know how to do this. Yeah. Your worry and my worry are saying that we don't know how to do it. My worry convinces me that it's a disaster. Your worry is sort of catching a little bit of a whiff of my worry saying it's a disaster. Yeah. And ask him, what do you think? What do you think? So say he names his worry Bruce. What does Bruce say about sleep? And see what he has to say about it. Now, one of the key things here is that the goal is not to get rid of the worry. It's going to show up. Your worry is going to show up. His worry is going to show up. Why? Because they've got a pretty long-term lease in your brain when it comes to sleep. They're not just going to give it up. Worry is predictable. It is redundant. And it is persistent. And so we know it's going to show up. And as you change this pattern for him, In one day, he's not going to say like, oh, great, I don't have to worry about sleep anymore. And that's okay. You want to talk to him about what his response is going to be to it when his worry shows up. So say he identifies his worry as saying, worry tells me if I can't fall asleep, it's going to be a disaster. And maybe he'll say, and mommy will be upset because she really wants to do her work or, you know, whatever he says. So you say, okay, so that's understandable that that's what your worry says. And what we want him to say back to his worry is that, We want him to be bored with it. We want him to predict that the worry is going to show up. No big deal, right? Want to say, oh, that's what worry always says. Yeah. Even if you have to write it down on a little card for him that he can put next to his bed, this is what worry says. And this is what we say back to the worry. Now, we're not going to argue with the worry. We're not going to debate with it. We're just going to say, oh, there you go again. You're so boring, (laughs) right? We don't have to have a discussion with it. 
We don't have to prove anything to it. We've already proved it. He knows how to fall asleep. You know how to fall asleep. Don't have to get into a big content-based discussion with it. Yeah. Oh, there you go, worry. The example I always give, my worry shows up and says like, you'll never get it done, right? I get stuff done. So when my worry shows up, I don't turn to it and say like, really, do you think I won't meet this deadline? So I say, hi, nice to see you. Yes, I've overbooked myself. I have to work some extra hours. I get it. I get it. Be quiet. (laughs) I don't get into a big discussion with it. You really want to say to him, own it. Just say, I have been worried about you sleeping since the day you were born. Yeah. Does he worry about other things or is it mainly sleep? Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, And I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Well, I think sleep is the biggest worry in the past. He's had other worries about school, about doing well in school, about getting in trouble. He's such a good boy. He always follows the rules, but he's terrified of making a mistake and getting caught and getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. He worries about his family. He worries about his grandparents and their health. And so he's, he's a worrier. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
the main thing that worry does is it says, you can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't see everybody. I did that in the microphone and I, I made her jump. Yeah. She's like, ah, yeah. Okay. But that's what worry does. <gasps> you can't handle it. It doesn't matter what the content is to me. This happens to be about sleep, but it doesn't matter to me whether or not it's about his grandparents or making a mistake. The theme of it always with worry is that something is going to happen, something uncertain, and it might be that I'm going to make a mistake or that something's going to go wrong. Things aren't going to go as planned. He has a rigid dad who likes things to go as planned, and he has a worrier mom who feels like uncertainty. Oh my gosh, right? So he's picking up on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You and your husband want to pay attention to how you're conveying to him that things need to go as planned or else. Because that's all that worry wants. Worry wants certainty and comfort. If I make a mistake, if I can't fall asleep, if I screw up, things need to go as planned or else. When you say that your husband says when things get stressful for him, he likes control, that's his worry saying things need to go as planned. Yeah. Worry does not like unexpected things. It's not flexible. It's about rigidity and predictability. Think about in your family, how can you convey as a family that it's okay when things don't go as planned? One of the homework assignments I give to so many families is I say at dinner at night, I want everybody to go around and say, what unexpected thing happened to you today and how did you handle it? I want your boys to hear you guys as adults modeling some small thing. Like I went to get some milk and the milk had turned sour and I couldn't put it in my cereal. Talk to him about the unexpected things. Yeah. You give the message and you and your husband have to do this together. You give the message that you guys are capable of managing unexpected things, that you can be flexible, that it doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean that we don't have some sort of routine or some sort of structure, but we can handle unexpected things. So an unexpected thing was you guys go camping and he can't have his CD to play. That was an unexpected thing. So how are you going to handle that? That's the message that you want to give him. Because when worry shows up, worry says, you can't handle it. You might get in trouble and you can't handle it. You might lose your favorite pencil and you can't handle it. Your CD might break in half and you can't handle it. We want him to know that he can handle when unexpected things happen. You can handle it. Dad can handle it. But you want to be talking to him about that. You want to marinate him in that idea of handling unexpected things and being flexible. Yeah. You want to stay away from giving him too much what I call content-based reassurance. So content-based reassurance is he says, I'm worried about this, and you come back with the reason why he shouldn't worry about it. When we talk about sleep, you're going to say to him once, we know how to fall asleep. We know how to fall asleep. So we can put this, no pun intended, but we can put this worry to bed. <laughs> yeah. Because we know how to fall asleep. And we're just going to be more flexible as we fall asleep. You're going to talk very openly about worry so that he recognizes it. You know, one of the things that you said right at the beginning of the call was that you didn't really recognize your anxiety very much until you started seeing it in him. Yeah. You being open with it 
you talking to him about it, you are giving him a wonderful, wonderful gift. Thank you. Because somebody taught you how to worry, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. There's a few probably possibilities. <laughs> and now you are going to say, I'm not going to do this cycle. I'm going to interrupt this. We're just going to talk about this. I'm going to teach him about how this thing works. I'm going to show him. I'm going to love him through it. Yeah. You are giving him a wonderful, wonderful gift by saying to him, you and I, we're going to work together to make sure that our worry doesn't boss us around, particularly at bedtime, but at other times too. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I heard your dog. Yeah. I think it's, the, I think yeah. the rain has found us and she does oh. not like thunderstorms. Oh, the thunderstorms. All right. We're all anxious in this house. Yeah. <laughs> <Even the dog. laughs> Do you have any other questions for me? I could go on for days. <laughs> okay. No, um, I think that my worry about <laughs> worrying is just silly. And I appreciate what you were saying about my gifts to and to love him through this. Yeah. So it's sometimes easy and it's sometimes hard. That's right. Of course, because that's what parenting is, right? It's sometimes easy and it's sometimes hard. But you don't need to work so hard to put on a brave face. You need to put on an empathic face, which I'm sure your brave face is empathic too. And I don't want you to, you know, sort of dump all this on him and say like, I'm so worried and blah, blah. But to say to him, I get this because my worry does this too. I would ask him, how do you know when my worry shows up? What do you see? Uh -huh. And ask your seven-year-old, what do you hear? He's really good at mimicking me, my seven-year-old, yeah. <laughs> oh, he is. He is. Okay, so they know. So talk about it. Be open about it. Use humor about yeah. it. Worry demands that you take it seriously. Worry loves a catastrophe. It's all about, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. So be open about it. Be playful about it. We're going to take the catastrophe level down. Yeah. You're doing a good job. He knows how to sleep. You know how to sleep. Yeah. It's not an emergency waiting to happen. It's a normal part of life. And he's really figured it out. Yeah. And you guys have such a nice routine at night, reading and all that. That's so wonderful. We can take the catastrophe away. Just remove the emergency from this. Yeah. It's not an emergency. You might want to write yourself a little sign and put it on your computer that says, sleep is wonderful. Sleep is my friend. Sleep is not an emergency. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where did this sleep thing come from? Before I became a parent, I never knew what it meant to be sleep deprived. Ah. Taking home a newborn who didn't sleep, who would sleep two hours at a time was traumatizing. Yeah. That's what they do, those newborns. <laughs> and I just assumed I would have a good baby who slept through the night <laughs> from the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very surprised to be so sleep-deprived for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Who taught you how to worry? Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, I think both of my parents have anxiety and deal with it very differently. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I think that my dad is more of a worrier than my mom. So I, I do think I get it from my dad. Yeah. All right. All right. So see how this goes. Be open with them. You're going to name that worry part, draw a picture, make it a little family project. <laughs> 
do that homework assignment where you're going to talk about unexpected things and say to him, we know how to sleep. Yeah. Your body knows how to sleep. And we're going to be flexible within our routine of sleep. And if you give your worry part a name, give both of your boys permission to call out your worry part. So if you name it Sylvia or whatever, give both of your boys permission to say, mom, Sylvia is totally out of control right now. (laughs) And make your husband do it too. He's got to come up with the worry part. And when he's being controlling and rigid and that kind of stuff, they can call him out too. Yes. But laughter is a good thing with this. Worry doesn't want you to laugh about this. Worry likes an emergency. Worry wants a crisis. We're not playing. Good. All right. Well, you're going to talk about it. You're going to be open about it. You're going to laugh about it. Yes. We're going to take away the emergency. It's okay. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And you are giving them a very, very amazing gift by teaching them about this at an early age. It's truly a gift from you. I heard about your podcast from a coworker and I read your book and I'm a different parent because of getting to know your work. So I'm so grateful oh. to you. I'm changing thank you. because of your influence. So thank you. Oh, well, that is very kind of you to say. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. You got this. Thank you. You do got this. I do. <laughs> And that session was really great. Here's what I was thinking about when you were talking with her. It's probably very common that in a marital dynamic, you've got someone whose anxiety shows up in a worry pattern and then another one who shows up in a rigidity control pattern. But then I suppose you could have two parents who both show up as rigid and both show up as worriers Mm -hmm. too. Like there's every possible combination. Yeah. And I think that what was interesting about this, if you bring up the dynamic between the mom and the dad, is that oftentimes the control dynamic is not seen as anxiety. Yes. Right? So she was talking about that she was neurotic and her husband, when he gets overwhelmed, he just likes to, to plan and control and make sure, think, make sure things go a certain way. And I, and I can imagine, I, I, we didn't talk about it too much, but I can imagine that she's sort of the one that's seen as the worst. And he's sort of the one that's seen as he's going to take control and make sure everything goes fine. And I, you know, I would, I would argue that he's worrying too. It's just that he presents it in a different way. And that's something that, you know, we've talked about in the past is that when we look at worry, sometimes we see it as, oh, you're fretting, fretting. But there's a lot of ways that it shows up with this control thing. Absolutely. The other thing that I really loved as a takeaway from this And I think as a parent myself and other listeners are wondering, you give a lot of prompts for how to have these conversations with your kids about your own worry. Like at what point can you really start talking about your worry or your kid's worry? So I think the earlier the better. Of course, you're not going to talk to your nine-month-old about it. But I think that as soon as a child is four or five, I think you can talk about it in a way that doesn't pathologize it. You can talk about it in a way that sort of normalizes it. And as soon as you give kids that language and as soon as you give them permission to recognize when worry has shown up, that's really going to empower families to recognize this thing so it doesn't take over. So I would say four, five. I mean, in this situation, we had a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. That's absolutely 
age appropriate to start talking about this. But really, and, and I've said this a lot, I, I say this very frequently, I have kids in kindergarten that are really capable of articulating what worry is, what it looks like when it shows up, how the family gets held hostage by it. So four, five, definitely six, you're not going to sit down and have a huge lecture about it, but to really just begin to bring it in and use the language and normalize it definitely by the age of five. So everybody join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn an upcoming question on an episode and that you'll get all the information about our 2022 events first. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.